and welcome to the Remaining Sane, Finding Peace in Our Chaos podcast, a podcast about both theology and police work. I'm your host, Will, and in today's episode, I talk with Dr. Hans Bergman of Neshota House Seminary. Dr. Bergman, how are you today? I'm great, thank you. Thank you Good. for having me. Uh, would you mind giving just a brief introduction as to who you are, some of the work that you've done? Yes, absolutely. Um, I'm, in, uh, I'm an Anglican theologian, and as you said, I teach uh, in Wisconsin at Neshota House Theological Seminary. been there five years. Uh, prior to that, I taught for uh, 14 years at Regent College in Vancouver. Uh, I've also taught at Trinity Western University in Langley, British Columbia. Um, I have a variety of of different interests. Uh, I'm interested in 20th century Catholic thought. I'm interested especially in the Church Fathers. Um, I I enjoy uh, the topic of theological interpretation of scripture, or as uh, one of my favorite theologians, Henri de Lubac, would put it, spiritual interpretation of scripture, which I think is a much more beautiful term. So I'm I'm interested in spiritual interpretation of scripture, which the Fathers and, and most of the Christian tradition have practiced. Um, I did a book on uh, the beatific vision. I'm currently working on uh, the creator-creature relationship, drawing especially from um, Dionysius um, and from Maximus the Confessor. Um, I'm ordained within the uh, Anglican Church of North America. My wife and I attend St. Matthew's um, Anglican Church in Abbotsford, British Columbia. Um, The uh, creature-creator relationship is actually something that I've been digging into recently because I'm, I'm trying to, I, I, I never try to say that I am reading Thomas Aquinas. I just say I'm trying to read Thomas Aquinas because that's you, very prudent because <laughs> you read in, you know, I feel like every 10, every 10 sentences I have to stop and reread what I've read to really get at it. Um, but one yeah. of the things that he yeah. is, he's talked about is that things that are created have they have aspects of their creator in them. Um, and so like, for example, um, it just, this is a, just a very basic example, like a, uh, a male and a female elk can't produce a bear. <laughs> um, in the same way, we, as one of the things that I think that that translates to is that, you know, we, as, as, as police officers, we the way that we learn is you know we it's essentially a bunch of wisdom and knowledge that is passed down from other people to us and that that applies to every profession but you know we we take generational aspects from the people above us right and like it matters that we do things in a certain way because that's what our ancestors have done before us um, and so, you know, especially in in professions where you find a, a very strong, I, I guess, celebration or tradition, um, you're going to find a lot of stuff that is passed down. You just do things because that's the way it is. And so, you know, that for better or for worse, you, you can find that um, inside of police work. But taking that aside, um, we do have a few questions. Um, I've collected a few questions from our audience. I was wondering, first of all, so the book that I've I've talked about uh, once or twice um, already is you wrote 
heavenly participation. And that's and in that book you talk about what's called a sacramental tapestry. Uh, would you mind talking about what that is and just kind of pause it? You know, yes, what, of course. That is, yeah, go ahead. What, what I understand by that, of course. Um, um, so a sacramental tapestry it's, it's, is, the way, is a way, a metaphor, a way of talking, a metaphor that I use in the book um, to talk about the creator-creature relationship. And um, what I'm arguing essentially in the book is that what happened in modernity is that we have separated the creator from the creature. We've, we've introduced a huge gap, you could say, between creator and creature. And we've, we've struggled ever since, uh, well, since the late Middle Ages, but it has become, become more pressing in modernity. Um, we're struggling now with the question of how we can how we can bridge the gap, as it were, between creator and creature. And um, what I what I do in in heavenly participation is I say uh, the gap that we've introduced is an is an illusory thing. There really isn't a gap between creator and creature. Rather, um, creation is 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 sacramental, which which is to say, in a, in a sacrament, the reality is always already present. So the, the creator is, is in some manner, and we may talk about how that is, but, but the creator is in some manner present within the creatures that he has made. So there's a real presence of the creator within, within creation. Um, or if you want to put it the, the, the other way around, you could say that creatures, from the bottom up as it were, you could say the creatures participate in in the creator in the being of the creator in the wisdom of the creator you talked about wisdom and being earlier um but the wisdom that we participate that all creatures participate in the being that that is god himself so on that understanding on that sacramental tapestry understanding um there, there's no separation between creator and creature um, we have our being precisely by participating in the life of god so god is really present um, in everything that he has made, which makes, I think, a huge difference for, for a whole lot of things, how we treat them, how we, how we approach them, et cetera. So along those lines, as, as a police officer, you know, how do we fit into the sacramental tapestry? Um, one of the things that uh, I've been convicted of recently is, you, you know, lo loving the poor and, you know, loving those that are, you know, quote unquote, beneath you, which they're not necessarily, they're, they're not, but, um, you know, as, as Jesus says, if you have not loved the least of these, then you have not loved me. And, but one of the problems is, as police officers um, that we encounter is a lot of the crime that we encounter is done by people that are, quote unquote, the least of these. Um, and so yeah. that's the, that's the, people that you know we deal with all the time right and it's mm -hmm. not just you know selling a little baggy of meth or, or or getting in a fight like i've seen some truly horrible evil things done by by really you know all all spans of, of classes but it's it seems to me that the demographic that i work with the most is those of you know the poorest kind I mean, that doesn't mean if they're white black red green orange it's and so, you know, how, how do we how do we balance these two things? Because we, we still have our job. We still have to see crime and stop it. Yes. But how do we? Um, yeah, that's a great question, Will. Um, 
I don't know your story, and I'm not sure why you went into police work. Um, but but it seems to me that the ultimate reason um, that 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 um, ought to be the one that you started off with love. It has to do with with um, the care that you hopefully have um, for everyone and everything that God has made. And that includes, as you're saying, say, I think of Matthew chapter 25, um, the poor, the prisoners, um, um, the naked, the hungry. Um, it, in, it includes every single human being. On, on the understanding of a sacramental ontology and a sacramental understanding of reality, um, every human being um, participates, shares, in in um, the eternal word of God has this being from the eternal word of God, um, and that means that that we treat every human being accordingly. Um, and as 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 a, as a police officer, um, no matter what situation you may encounter. And, and and some of them, as you already indicated, will be truly horrendous. Um, you'll always want to remind yourself mm. that the person that you have in front of you, made in the image of God, has the stamp of God upon him, mm -hmm. and and um, is meant, is intended um, for eternal fellowship with God. Mm. Now. That person, as well as you and I, often often obstruct that fellowship with God. We, we often make a mess of things. Um, and uh, the police officer comes in touch with those situations in, in, in different ways than most of us do. And, and, and that may make it difficult, often does make it difficult, I think. And the, the frequency people. also right? doesn't help, exactly. right? frequency and the, and the kinds of situations that you encounter it, it it makes police officers often jaded and it makes them think look is there any sort of normality here it, it often and often in fact for police officers leads to, to the situation where your first instinct in being with another human being is distrust mm -hmm. and, you know you, you think okay so what's he's got what what has he got up his sleeve <laughs> rather than trust which is what you would hope in, in, in normal situations to, to be the, the, the sort of basic, basic attitude. Maximus Confessor um, makes the important point that we were created good, we were made good. I think that's hugely important to remember. God made us, God, God doesn't create junk. God, God makes us good. God set, puts a stamp upon us as human beings and he creates us for eternal fellowship with him. And of course we know, we know about the fall, I know about sin, but but that's not how God made us. That's, that's not how we are by nature. Mm -hmm. um, but we act in unnatural ways too often, too frequently, and, and, and in sometimes hor horrific ways. One thing I think a police officer um, does well to keep in mind is that he, he has one particular task, namely to uphold law mm -hmm. and to enforce the law which is a good thing to do i think um but but 
it's only one task. Um, so just because you often have to say no as a, as a cop, just because you often have to enforce the boundaries, um, and, and just because you time and again encounter the same individual yet again in front of you, that, that doesn't mean that all of all human interaction is like that. So you may be the one person who actually has to enforce boundaries, which requires certain spiritual disciplines for yourself, I think, which requires you for you to, to, to set certain things in place for yourself so you can handle it well. But, but one thing to remember, I think, is that what you're doing isn't in, in interaction with, with criminals, for example, isn't, isn't all of human interaction. As, as a police officer, you may also have a, have a wife or a husband. You may also have children, um, your family. Or, or there, there are other situations um, that, are, that are shaped differently, other relationships that, that are shaped differently, and that hopefully will show a side of, of how we interact as human beings um, that, that goes beyond what you have as a, say, nine-to-five job. I know it's not a nine-to-five job usually, but, you know, that, that that goes beyond that. Um, so so, I, I'm, in other words, I guess what I'm saying is I'm happy to talk with you about what does this mean for for a police officer, a psychoanalytologist, and it's a really important question. But but right off the bat, you you've got to remember, um, your job as a police officer is 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 is, is a rather unique thing, mm-hmm. and and. Much of much of human interaction takes place in different situations and out, outside of those parameters. Yeah. Um, this is a very hard point for um, many cops. So when I talk with other police officers about God, Christianity, um, a the Eucharist is normally where I start uh, because that's normally kind of an, an easier thing for me to to really get into as to you know, what that means and and why it's important. But uh, human nature is often very hard because you know, especially if you you know work in a big urban area, it, it, it can get really bad. Um, but the a lot of times the answer is, you know, don't look at your job, look at you know your wife and say, you know, can you look at your wife and say she's a, a an inherently bad person? Um, and, and so, and that's also why it's important to keep your house clean. Um, and so that, you know, that's to have a good sustainable life on the outside. Um, you know, so not so, so that you're not constantly surrounded by all of this all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's just a good, it was, I mean, whether it be for spiritual or just basic wellness, even if you don't believe in God, I, I think that for your own sanity, it's, it's important very important to, to keep your house clean, right? To keep your house yeah. straight. Um, transitioning just a little bit. One of the things that I've been diving into recently is a little bit of church history. Um, and so I don't know if you, this, this is very different in, in my generation. So from what I understand in my parents' generation, it was very cool to, uh, become a Calvinist. Like that was the, that was the cool thing to do. Um, mm-hmm. in 
my generation, there is a decent amount of people that are seeking out apostolic Christianity. Um, so whether right. the, whether that's Eastern Orthodoxy, Anglicanism, or uh, Roman Catholicism, there a lot of people are fleeing or running to which you know whichever verb you want to use apostolic Christianity. Yes. One of the things that you mentioned in in heavenly participation is that the the sacramental tapestry of all the Christians in the world was for the for the first time torn really bad uh, during the schism between East and West. And then it was in, in, in the West, it has continued to be, you know, shredded with the, uh, with the Protestant Reformation, not trying to break Protestants or even break the Roman Catholic church. But one of the questions that, um, that I, I was asked was, you know, does the East, have a better understanding of that sacramental tapestry because there hasn't been the same kind of schism as there has been in the West? And have you looked into that at all? Yes, I've thought about that some. Um, it's a great question. And um, very broadly speaking, my answer would be yes. I think that's actually true. I think that the East traditionally has 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 resources um that eastern that the eastern fathers have resources for talking about the creative creature relationship they are are um are profound very and very very helpful um that's why i often turn to you know theologians such as gregory of nissa maximus professor um because i think they're profoundly helpful in trying to articulate um a participatory ontology um, now, it's, it's not like it's absent from the West. Um, in Heavenly Participation, the second part of the book, I, I deal with a number of Roman Catholic theologians uh, from the mid-20th century, Nouvelle Theologie, New Theology, as it was called. And um, these theologians articulated, I think, uh, what, I, what I call in the book a sacramental tapestry. Um, they looked at, and they, and they wanted to recover, they wanted to retrieve from the Church Fathers, especially the Eastern Fathers, a, a, an understanding of reality that was what we often call holistic, but really which is sacramental. So, so theologians such as uh, Henri de Lubac, um, uh, Jean-Daniel Lou and others, they, they went to the early Church and they went especially to the Eastern Fathers, interestingly, um, to, to recover uh, something of a sacramental ontology for the Western Church today, in that case, for, for Roman Catholicism. Um, I, I think modernity um, has, has, has shaped both Roman Catholic and, and Protestant, the mindset of both Catholicism and Protestantism, let me put it that way, it has shaped the mindset of, of Roman Catholicism and Protestantism both, and profoundly, and to my mind, largely negatively. It's true that you continue to have resources in the East that, you, that, that, that have gone more dormant, as it were, or perhaps have disappeared, some might say, in, in, in the West. Now, that, that makes it all sound very rosy in the East and very negative in the, in the West. And I think there are all sorts of ways in which we, we we need to we need to perhaps 
um, balance that out a bit. But but the basic intuition of, of the person that asked you that question about the East is, is a correct one, namely that 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 the East East that Eastern theology has a heritage um, that is more thoroughly sacramental than, than Western theology sometimes is. And I think you see that played out, especially when Eastern Christians talk about theosis. Uh, there is a a police officer that I work with who is also Eastern Orthodox, and he's talked about a lot how the view, the, the Eastern view of, of theosis and uh, making yourself more like Christ is is so important to him, and that a a lot of unlike the West, a lot of the Eastern Orthodox really understand what that is, and then they so therefore they understand why they fast, why they pray, why they meditate upon Scripture. It's because of theosis. It's because they are literally trying to make themselves more like God. Um, yeah, and yes. so, it, it, I think I think that's right. I mean, again, this is not absent from the West. Mm-hmm. West, West. Western Christians talk about sanctification often in this in the same context. So we're made holy for God is holy. It's not like like that notion of 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 change, changing oneself and being changed is absent from the West. Um, but it's true that there is a a a daring element in Eastern thought in the language of divinization that is not quite there in the West. And that has to do, I think, with a, with a sharper delineation between creator and creature in the West. Mm-hmm. Um, and and um, I think your, your colleague is probably um, probably right to say, well, if, if it's a matter of, of, of divinization, of deification, um, then, then, then everything I do um, um, makes me enter, or can potentially make me enter the life of God more deeply, mm-hmm. so that it, so that everything I do deeply matters. Yeah. Yes, I think that's right. Well, along those lines, um, engaging more with uh, apostolic Christianity. Uh, one of the questions that I have is you've written a lot about reading scripture like traditional christians both in scripture as real presence sacramental exegesis in the early church and in your latest book pierced by love divine reading in the christian tradition i think that a lot of evangelicals trying to engage with traditional christianity are struggling to reimagine their relationship to scripture properly they may have learned growing up to askew tradition in favor of a quote, me and my Bible religion, end quote, where you need a chapter and verse to justify any rule to live by. Then they encounter Protestant critics online making arguments like there was no canon in the early church, therefore the scriptures cannot be an ultimate authority, or before the printing press and higher literacy rates, most people didn't have Bibles and couldn't read them, therefore scripture reading must not be an essential aspect of Christian spirituality. How should I engage with scripture as a traditional Christian and as a traditional Christian in the Greek tradition? I think in that question, um, it, the, the, uh, the author of it may have meant to say Catholic critics online or Catholic slash Eastern Orthodox critics online. Um, yeah. yeah. yeah how, how do we, how do we engage with, with scripture properly? 
there's a lot of questions hidden in yeah. that in that, in that yeah. long piece. That's, that's it's a great great set of items that come to the fore comes to the fore there. Um, let me begin by by saying that the author has, that, that the person who's asking you that question has has rightly picked up I think on on the notion that scripture is meant to be read um, within context. That is to say, the context of tradition, the context of the church. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the Bible was not given to individual people to make sense of as they see fit or as they perhaps think is right. Um, no, the, the, the Bible is the church's book. And as the church's book, you read it, therefore, in line with the one who owns the book, the church. That is to say, in line with the tradition, um, you can't you can't come up with a meaning um, that is totally alien to the way the tradition has read the scriptures on a particular issue. For example, uh, if you say say, "Hey, it says here the Father is greater than I," well, surely Jesus must be must not be divine, uh, must must not be eternal Son of God. Um, one one reason. An important one, I think, you should be second guessing yourself at that point, is that the entire Christian tradition has read it differently than you're 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 tempted to read it now, um, and 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 the church as a whole, also today, I don't read it the way that you're attempting uh, tempted to read it right now. So so the church, authority of the church, the magisterium, um, the tradition of the church. They're they're all safeguards for our reading of scripture. Now, now there are some some elements in that question where where I would just put a little um, red flag is maybe maybe a bit strong, but where I would would just sort of wave wave a little yellow sign perhaps, um, and and that is uh, there's a couple of elements there. One one is um, well, since there was no canon in the early church. Um, scripture can't be ultimately it can't be the ultimate authority. Something like something to that effect. I think, I think was part of the question. Um, I, I would say, well, hold, hold it, hold it, hold it, um, because because when you when you read the early fathers, already Saint Irenaeus in the second century, um, where does he go to to um, debate the Gnostics? Well, he goes to the, to the to the divine scriptures. Um, and he turns to the very same scriptures that you and I read today. Mm-hmm. Um, almost all of the books that we have in 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 the New Testament, the letters, the Gospels, uh, the, he's quoting from them in, in the same way. Old Testament, for that matter, as well. Um, he he largely works with the very same scriptures that you and I work with, and he debates the Gnostics on the grounds of those scriptures. Same, same in the fourth century when it comes to Athanasius's debate um, with with uh, the Arians. When it comes to the Cappadocians arguing with Eunomius, Neo Arian theologian, where do they go? They go to the scriptures, and and they argue from the scriptures um, that that um, Jesus is is eternally divine. So so the the. the the correct insight of the of the person who's asking the question is this: It's not the scriptures by themselves in an isolated fashion. Another true insight that this person brings to the fore is um, there wasn't a delineated canon in the second century or even in the third century 
the way that that um, later Eastern and Western Christians uh, have it. But and 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 there is a basic um, a basic rule of faith, a basic confession, um, which is 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 an interrelationship, you could say, with with the scriptures and with the life of the church, with the liturgy of the church, all of which makes up the Christian faith. Um, Yves Congar, who has written really, really helpfully on, on the scripture tradition relationship. Uh, he's, he was a mid 20th century Catholic theologian, one of those Nouvelle theologians that I talked about earlier. Yves Congar makes the point that um, there are not two separate sources of, of revelation. Say, on the one hand, scripture, on the other hand, tradition. They're interwoven with each other. Scripturalized, embedded within tradition, as Eastern Eastern Christians often rightly say, scripturalized, embedded within tradition, and tradition interprets scripture in turn. So, and and we interpret scripture in line with tradition. So, so they're 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 perichoretically interrelated. They're 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 you can't separate the one from the other. There's only one source of of, of divine revelation, um, and, and and that is divine tradition. Divine tradition, and the most significant element um, within that within that authority of tradition are are the scriptures themselves. And the church cannot teach anything going against those scriptures, and must be able to draw back ultimately all all doctrine that it teaches teaches as as derived from the scriptures. Yeah. So the scriptures are definitely central. Um, and I'd, I'd also, I think, push back a little bit against the notion that came back, came to the fore a little bit of the question of, oh, well, we don't need to read the Bible because, you know, once upon a time there was no Bible. Um, no, no. When I, when I read, when I read, um, you know, whether it's church fathers or medieval theologians, I mean, they all read the scriptures for their edification, for, the, for their building up. Um, for the being built up, the, the scriptures are are. I mean, when you when you re, when you read the Psalms about the the sweetness of 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 the honeycomb of, of 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 the scriptures, to have a Christian who doesn't who doesn't regularly turn to the Psalter, who doesn't regularly turn to to the Gospels or the Song of Songs, there's something wrong there. I think no, you should not to. Sit in judgment over over Christian doctrine, but to be nourished by it, to be deified by it. Yeah, it is one of the sad things that I've noticed online is that there's there's this new, this generation of people that it almost seems like their entire spiritual lives comes from theological debates. And right. theological debates are fine and dandy, but your prayer life is what matters more here. You know, your your scripture life is matter, matters more. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, that's that's the fountain where we get you know, the water that we need. Um, and then secondly, uh, another observation is that it, it is always good to. Um, I, th I think it's Chesterton that makes the point about uh, like the pointless fence where he talks about um, there. You know, you are in a field. There's no trees, there's no animals, there's no anything, and you see a random gate built right there. And then you question, 
or your response, he bas he articulates should not be this gate is pointless. We should remove it. it. Is we should find out why this gate exists, and then determine if we should remove it or not. Um, that's the same way that we should approach. I, I mean, I articulate this is a lot of things in life, but don't just walk up to stuff and say, "Oh, you know, I discovered this new scripture." And then, so we should change everything about how we've always interpreted scripture for forever. Um, I think that it's very easy for us to feel smart when we to discover something new and then not take a step back and realize where it's put in context. And this is not just scripture. This is, this is life in general. Tradition always has the benefit of the doubt. So it's always a starting point. It's, it's never never the thing that you kick against first because it, it, you can't make rational sense out of it. No, mm-hmm. just because you cannot make rational sense out of it doesn't mean it's not part of, 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 of what makes us who we are. Correct. So, yeah. Another question that I have for you is, this is hearkening back to when we were talking about how we encounter sin and we encounter a lot of it um, as, 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 as a cop. Um, or just in evil in general, whether it's directed at us or directed at other people. Um, an article you wrote is about, um, I think it's called Eucharistic Donkeys, or you know how we help bear each other's burdens. Um, how how do we do that as as a cop or as a community, not just you know as, as a police officer? Um, you know, I'm going to bring the burdens I have. My wife has a completely different job. She's going to have the burden she has, and then, but we're also in the same family. So there are different burdens. You know, how, how do we help each other out? You know, how do we, um, and then how does that relate to the Eucharist? Those are some very small questions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great. Um, very difficult. Um, let, let me first say this, um, that, Whatever answer you give to to your question, um, it, it's not like like we can then say, "Oh, now I understand how this works." And and another burden is it's it's it's, it's well, it feels like it's so light and it's so easy now. It, I, it just there are no easy solutions here. Mm-hmm. Um, terrible things happen to people, and they have a real impact. And, and, and whatever answers we give, we, we can't and we shouldn't minimize that or, or ignore it or deny it. When we do, it's just going to look cheap and because it is cheap. So, so that, that won't work. That won't work. Um, evil, evil is something that we, well, it cannot be explained. Or oh, my Christian Platonist understanding, evil is, is pervasion of the good. Um, it, it doesn't have its own being, its own goodness. Um, and so, so when you encounter those kinds of things that you're talking about in your job, um, you, you can't you can't make sense of them strictly speaking, because they are not sensible. They are not they are not rational. They're, they're, they're they don't have genuine being. They don't have goodness, and so so they cannot be explained. Only being is intelligible. Non-being is not intelligible. Evil is not intelligible. Um, so, so cheap explanations that say, "Oh, let me let me explain to you how evil works," are a problem. I'm, I'm going to cut you in right that's... here, if, if that's okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. One of the points um, that 
I read in Doors to the Sea by uh, David Bentley Hart is that um, one of the biggest turnoffs for people that are not Christians is hearing Christians try to explain away evil and make it cheap. Sure. Um, and that's, I, I mean, that this is the this this is you know one of the hardest arguments that I, I've had to encounter, especially because I'm, I'm surrounded by this stuff. And yeah. um, one of the points that he makes is that you know Christians that try to either, um, I think the the example he so doors of the sea is referring to uh, the tsunami in 2004 that killed you know, upwards of a million people in uh, in Southeast Asia. One of the points that he makes is that there was some Presbyterian past. It doesn't matter who, what tradition it was, but um, it, there was some pastor who said that those people by dying in essentially by drowning, by dying in you know, the way that they did participate in the same sacrifice that God made on the cross or Jesus made on the mm -hmm. cross. And I'm like, well, no, that, that's a horrible response. You know, you don't tell that to someone who's encountered some kind of great trauma in front of you. Right. You know, I don't go up to someone whose family member has died of an overdose and tell them, Hey, it's okay. You know, everything's going to work out in the end. No, it, it's, you know, what do you do? You give them a hug. You know, that's. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Qualified, qualified. Yeah. To that. So, so what, what I would say is, um, first of all, and, and I agree. And I, I, I know that David Hart would, would agree too. Evil is non-being. Uh, he's, he's, he's a Christian Platonist after all. So, so even non-being, and it's, it can be rationally explained, and he and I are on the same page there. Um, which, which leaves us with two things, I think. One is, um, as, as a Christian, at least for a Christian, leaves you with two things. Uh, one is resurrection. Um, I, I think. Um, when, when you encounter a lot of evil as you do in your job um hope is incredibly important um because it's it's very easy to become cynical and despondent in situations like that and and the gospel the christian gospel speaks about resurrection that's not that obviously that doesn't explain the evil it's a conquering of evil. So, so, so Christ's Christ's death on the cross and issues in his in his resurrection, and his his cross and resurrection are victory over evil. Uh, it's not that's not all there is to the atonement, I think, but that's that's central to to the atonement that 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 it is victory over death and over sin and over evil. Um, even even if we cannot ex even when we cannot explain things that happen to us or things things that we witness or whatever, we can't make sense of them. Um, in, a Christian will, in faith, try to say, "What I believe is is not the end. I, I, I believe that there is something coming after this." That, that's one thing I think that that um, you, you want to maintain. Um, and and the other thing is, um, I, and there, per, perhaps I would push back 
a bit against David Hart um, is the sharing in Christ's sufferings. I think is 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 pretty important in the scriptures and in Christian tradition. So, um, of, uh, how how you deal with that pastorally is is important to be sure. And you you rightly you rightly allude to that in your question. I think that um, there is there is truth to it that God makes use of evil and makes use of suffering to draw us closer to Him and to redeem the world. Um, you know, I think Colossians 1, uh, I think it's verse 24, you know, that, that in, in our suffering, we make up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. You know, that really strange verse, at least the strife is often a strange. How, how can we make up something that's lacking in Christ's afflictions? Well, I, I think in John Paul, Pope John Paul II makes this point in, in an encyclical on human suffering, Salve Vici Dolores, he makes the point we're not adding something to Christ, but but um, our suffering is taken up in that of in that of Christ. I think that's theologically true. Um, and I hope that when even when suffering comes at its worst, uh, or when I perhaps as a cop see suffering at its worst or evil at its worst, and that I'll still be able to say that that somehow, somehow God uses this. I don't know how, but but to bring about redemption, I think I think those things are important. Important, both of them, um, because if if you simply say, well, you know, there's this evil; it's just there, and 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 hey, nobody can make sense of it, and that's the end of story. And and after all, we've got to listen to each other. You've got to be able to. If that's all you do. You've got nothing as as a Christian that that uniquely um, brings the gospel to bear on this So yes, listening is absolutely key, and yes, times of silence and sitting with someone is absolutely essential. Um, and when and how you say things are really important. We don't want to remove those either of those elements because. If, even when I, when when my say I go through a rough time, and my friend comes up to me, and and he reminds me, you know, God is is somehow somehow training you here. I don't know how, but I I, I may look at him and say, you know, I I'm having a hard time. Case <laughs> I don't understand, but I, I I still believe that's the case even at that point. And 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 really, the next day I'm grateful that my friend has said it. Anyway, those are, those are some thoughts that come to mind. Yeah. And the you know, focusing on Christ and His second coming is is big here. That you know, God's going to come back and judge the world. And though even though we may not see, we may not see a judgment or a justification in our own lives, it it, it will happen. You know, we have to have the faith in that. That's what's unique about the Christian message, is that. Well, there's many things unique, but there is a very certain uniqueness to that God is, is going to come back and make the wrong right. And that we understand, that, as you said, that evil is the absence of him and he's going to fill the world. He's going to fill the world with him. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, and so um, and that, that's why the Eucharist is so important, because, you know, it's a reminder mm -hmm. of it's, it's encountering Christ. 
Right. Um, well, thank you for that. I didn't I didn't respond to that part of your question, but you're <laughs> absolutely right. That's why the Eucharist is so important um, because that is where we receive Christ, true being, um, true life. Um, it, it's 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 the conquest over evil right there when you receive the body of Christ. You, you're exactly right. Yeah. Well, I've got two separate questions for you, um, neither of which really have a ton to do with police work. Um, but one of the things that um, I've been asked to ask you is, uh, why are you an Anglican? You know, what's the story there? Um, and, you know, I don't want you to necessarily explain why you're not Orthodox, a Protestant, or, and I know yes. Catholics would fight you on terminology here, but, you know, why are you an Anglican? Um, I grew up in a Calvinist setting, and um, have uh, attended a reformed church until about six years ago um although for the past 20 of those of those uh, years of my life um it was in a very low church evangelical setting and um during that time i became more and more sacramental in my own thinking um i uh as i mentioned to you i wrote this book on nouvelle theologie um and by the time i was finished writing that book it was very clear to me that my Protestantism was rather shaky. In the end, that took me to a sacramental setting, to uh, to the Anglican Church. You know, again, you know, I'm happy to talk about why not, why not Catholic, why not, why not Orthodox. Um, for a variety of reasons, I didn't, I, I, I didn't go either direction. Um, but it, I wanted to connect with the early church. Um, I wanted to be able to talk about sacramentality without any inhibition because it's absolutely central to my thinking. And I wanted to experience the Eucharist uh, as the true gifting of, of, of Christ's body to his church and not just as a mental act. Last one for you is, do you have any advice um, for the audience here? Is there anything, parting words that you want to leave for us? If, if you could say one thing uh, for the audience to, to hear, what would it be? Um, if, if, if it is for, for your audience, which many of whom I suspect will be, will be police officers, um, it, it, it would be, do not despair at everything that you see. And for that reason, be very disciplined in your own spiritual life, in your prayer life, in your, in your medita meditations on scripture. Be very, be very um, programmatic, I guess. Be very programmatic and disciplined in, in, in whether it's the book of prayer that you use, whatever, whatever it is that you use, but be programmatic in it because it may not be the first or second time that you go through these, dis through these disciplines that, that they will pay off. But if you have embarked upon them for 10 years straight, you've always done them, and something terrible happens, it's at that moment that it will unbeknownst to you perhaps but it will be what gives you the strength to keep going well uh, dr borsma thank you so much for coming on uh, remember if you have any questions for any future guests there's a google form in the description below and also if you know someone you think would be a great a great guest in the form below the first one you can fill that one out and you can also find us on twitter at remaining sane pc have a blessed rest of your day